Welcome to Australian Hunger. I am your host, Ben. Really exciting show this week. I got to talk to an old, I don't know if I call her a friend, but like someone I've I interviewed a lot a while back, two years ago, for the old radio show that I was doing. She was actually someone who I reached out to talk to. Um, she's from Canada. I'm from Australia, so a little bit of a distance. It was a really interesting experience because it was kind of, I think, the first time, maybe one, actually one of the only times, unfortunately, where I've reached across the sea to talk to someone who I didn't get an offer from either a label or a PR agency. It was sort of on my own initiative just by based on hearing her music, which I really enjoyed and um, I wanted to talk to her. Um, so really, really cool chat that we had. That's coming up in a couple of minutes. Before we get there, I want to just briefly discuss... Uh, an interview that I did in the first week of the show, the first episode, with Brendan Sloan from Convulsing. Really, really good chat. I got to talk to about his music, the live show that he was performing that day, and some of the sort of personal background, um, really, really interesting stuff, and I really appreciate him talking to me, given that uh, I think it, was, it, was, it would have been a stressful day for him to be the first time performing live as Convulsing. So that, that was a really great experience. Um, it was really interesting to see an article that was published in Invisible Oranges on convulsing, which treaded a lot of the same territory, but it's, it's kind of interesting the two different mediums, because I'm basically here to kind of prompt Brendan in that instance for rep- responses. Um, I've got an idea of like, hey, this is interesting territory to explore, and I'll ask a question hoping for a particular response, which kind of illuminates... I know his approach to things, his his background that has enabled him to do this music, how he's feeling about things, the kind of inspirations that affected particular artistic thematic choices, all those kind of things. Basically, kind of getting to know him better as an artist, kind of explore this broad tapestry of what we know as musicians and like how they work and just learning about what makes them tick. It's really fascinating. And the stories behind particular pieces of art that I've enjoyed. It's fascinating comparing that to the written piece that was in Invisible Oranges that he'd done an interview with. But then it's there's an, it's sort of a transformation. It's, it's really fascinating. Whereas what I'm doing here is more kind of framing his kind of thoughts on things so he's got a broader way array of thoughts a broad array of experiences and i want to say hey i think this particular aspect of your thought or experience would be interesting can you share that with us and that's kind of what these articles do but like they also kind of expound more they kind of hear what he said and then write it for his kind of perspectives on Death. They've kind of heard what he's had to say, but they like they write it better than maybe he said it, which is kind of a fascinating way to do things. And I don't know which way is better to be honest. Hearing the artist's own voice, which I mean, can be a bit more of an extended process rather than reading a condensed version where where a writer has chosen the best bits and really constructed a narrative that makes sense as enjoyable as opposed to kind of the more long form unedited interviews that I do so I don't know it's it's really up to you which is better obviously uh, given the fact that I'm a terrible writer I know which one I'm doing but yeah it's really fascinating seeing that different thing especially given so close to when I'd actually interviewed Brendan it actually made me really happy because Brendan has done some really terrific work with convulsing, really blowing up on Bandcamp, and to see him getting a really good write-up, which is kind of 
really put a writer's spin on it. It was really good, and I'm really happy for him that he got that opportunity. Really, really exciting stuff. But without further ado, the interview that I've got today for you is with Anna Pest, or should I call her April Hutchins? So April Hutchins is Canadian musician, guitarist, vocalist, um, writes her own music under the label of Anna Pest, and she's also, or should I say, she was also part of a band called Melvon. So Anna Pest released an album, an e- so Anna Pest, so as Anna Pest, so, as Anna Pest, she released an EP called A Fortress of Flesh. She's also going to be releasing an EP called Something is a Foot in a Lily. She's also releasing an EP called Something is a Foot on October 26th. So, really prodigious output. Uh, following that, there's going to be another EP uh, later this year or beginning of next year. So, really exciting stuff if you're a fan of Anna Pest. Melvon, her band, just released an album, but unfortunately they announced that they're breaking up. So that's some of the stuff we talk about in the interview. I really appreciate April taking the opportunity to talk about all this stuff. Now, we chatted a little bit uh, two years ago when Forlorn was released, your uh, your debut album. Um, talk a little bit about what you've been up to since then, and then we might dive into uh, each individual thing. Right, sure. Okay, so, uh, I mean, musically, I've, uh, I've continued working quietly on stuff for the most part. I've got... Uh, the new record with Melavon that I spent several years working on. I was also working on this new Anapest material over the same period of time and just been keeping quiet, uh, dealing with a lot of stuff in life. I uh, moved out of my parents' house and I'm uh, living downtown now, started a new job in an office. Uh, Yeah, working on a lot of music. No, that's really cool. I actually, I've moved out a little while ago as well. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting journey, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is for sure. And it's, it's nice to, I don't know, be making my own money and to be responsible for my own well being. Also nice to not work in a grocery store anymore. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Definitely. So we'll start off with Anna Pest. When did you start working on these trilogy of EPs and, and at, w- at what point did they sort of become a trilogy? Right. Okay. So I wrote the music for this set of EPs over a pretty vast overlapping period of time. I want to say I had like maybe somewhere between 40 to 60 songs written that I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with. And uh, it it just became a process of narrowing it down and, and really asking myself, okay, which one of these are good, right? Which one of these can I actually present to the world and having selected a certain few I was like what what's the central thread between these sets of songs uh, that would lend to creating a cohesive packaging right so um, I guess I just I ended up with three sets of five songs that I thought were a really good show for everything that I had created over that period of time and uh, here we are now Interesting. So you're sort of writing songs, and although uh, the next one, which you've released a track from, sort of is going to have a kind of 
uh, sort of electronic, melodic death metal approach. This one you've currently released now, um, uh, Fortress of Flesh, has a kind of deathcore, brutal death metal approach. And that sort of just those kind of, I don't know, song styles kind of cropped up naturally. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess at a certain point, you know, I, I like to create the music I like to listen to, right? And I like to listen to a lot of different types of stuff. So I just find myself writing a lot of different types of songs, you know? At the moment, I was like, you know, what? how about I try to write something heavy that's not super focused on melody, but that's just a uh, focus on putting forward this aggression and this energy, you know? And uh, I guess this set of five songs were some of the songs that came out of that process that I thought were particularly, you know, interesting, well done, etc. A lot of them were garbage. So. Yeah, it's, it's funny being a creative person. Like the, the brilliant thing about putting out a podcast, which you have complete control of, putting out music, as you can have complete control of, you can basically just hide all your failures and poor attempts. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um. So with the... You know, brutal death metal, deathcore approach of a Fortress of Flesh. Were there any particular influences, any bands that you were listening to, which you had sort of taken inspiration from or were enjoying that kind of inspired the music? Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, I, I guess, like, on the deathcore side of things, I, there are a lot of Australian bands that I really love. Uh, Viard is Murder, of course. Uh, Boris the Blade, Make Them Suffer are probably the, the main ones. On the more kind of brutal death metal side of things, uh, there's Akrakaki, who I've always loved. They're a great progressive death metal band from Britain. Um, Aborted from Belgium. They're a great death grind band that I've been listening to for about a decade now. Uh, Decapitated from Poland, also very good. Ingested from Britain. They're a great uh, brutal death metal band that incorporate a lot of slams uh, quite tastefully into a lot of their music. Um, and I, I guess on the side, maybe some black metal influences like Dark Fortress and some grindcore influences like Discordance Axis, who's one of my favorite bands right now. Yeah, they're really interesting, really incredible band. Um, I think, yeah, if memory serves me right, I don't have, I'm trying to find it at the moment. Um, with the Fortress of Flesh released a bonus track, um, of a, an aborted cover is that right that is correct and you would only know that if you had bought the record before its official release so thank you very much for that you're very very welcome um so why did you choose to a cover aborted obviously no it's probably a stupid question because you're just talking about it but like a a, why aborted b why that particular track right um i guess i to full disclosure, uh, I don't know if it's it's proper for me to divulge this right now, but the bonus track on each of these EPs is a cover of a song that's kind of in the same mythology, if you will, as the sort of style that I'm going for on that particular EP. Uh, and I wanted to select songs that were a bit older, that had been with me for a bit longer, and that I feel have kind of shaped my idea of what heavy music is and what it can be. And in the case of Aborted, I've just been listening to them since late high school or early college. Uh, That particular song is from probably my favorite record from them, uh, Slaughter and Apparatus. And it's just a 
I know. I just think it's a fucking killer song. You know, it was maybe like the first death metal song that I heard that I really fell in love with. And that really captured my imagination. So, mm, no, that's really cool. Yeah. Borders a really terrific band. Like, I think they're probably one of the bands in that kind of class of like really extreme death metal bands who, um, has a done some stuff which is a little bit more melodic and which is really cool also they've just had a really good output which a lot of those bands not not the ones you specifically mentioned but like i think they struggle to put out interesting stuff just because like it could be a bit formulaic absolutely yeah it's um yeah no they're just really creative very varied with their riffing styles i think their uh their vocalist uh, sven is maybe one of my favorite death metal vocalists and he's definitely uh definitely kind of expanded my palette for you know how, how interesting and varied and dynamic uh these uh harsh metal vocals can sound so yeah that's definitely a, a huge thing they have going for them
I was thinking about asking this question a little bit later, but like, this is this is something I've struggled with a lot. Being a originally like more of a, more of a death metal fan, a fan of uh, Cannibal Corpse. You know, I think there's some of their stuff, particularly the first four records, uh, really incredible. But like something that's really unavoidable with death metal, particularly the more brutal forms of the genre is the the misogyny and like yeah, yeah. A, a band like aborted I, I don't think they're like particularly egregious like some other bands are but like they've definitely got lyrics which i think could be characterized as misogynistic how do you sort of approach approach that as something you know which i think in a broad idea is not good but like you enjoy it musically yeah, that's kind of and it's a question I wanted to explore on this release, right? Because I, I, I do love the music and I think the range of emotions that can be expressed through music this heavy is is uh really remarkable. Um but the topic matter is is often quite misogynistic and obviously runs counter to my beliefs and what I'm looking to express through my art, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, so the EP features some, you know, some vocals which are, you know, particular to the more extreme forms of death metal. I don't remember. I didn't have time to go through all the YouTube cover videos, but like, I don't remember if you've done vocals that extreme before. If you have, correct me. Um, but if not, was that something you were working on prior to the release? You, you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'd used, uh, I, I guess, some of the main styles that come to mind are, are the lower parts, which I'm inhaling, um, and the higher kind of more snarly, wretched sort of parts. Uh, I'd used techniques like that before in my work, but not very predominantly and not very well, right? It's only kind of in the past year and a half that I've started to take myself seriously as a vocalist. Um there's this band that I really love called Bro Job, who sort of came out of the woodwork in 2017. They're, they're an interesting deathcore band, and a lot of their music is really satirical, kind of pokes holes at the whole um, machismo-centered culture around deathcore, and a, a lot of the, their songs are just elaborate gay dick jokes, which is, is fantastic, I find. Um, and they did a... Uh, a vocal cover competition and I actually placed fifth out of over a hundred people, which I wasn't expecting because it was just a throwaway thing for me. Right. But it, it made me realize that like, I guess I have potential as a vocalist and I should put more effort into exploring that. So that was definitely something I was uh, exploring through this release with uh, trying out those new styles and uh, just, just, trying to do the deathcore vocals for this 
ostensible deathcore release. Mm, definitely. Um, some other things that are kind of interesting about the EP is uh, Salt and Lead features some turntables, which is something that's not usually found in this kind of death metal. <laughs> Um, how did you kind of come up with the idea to put those in? Right. So, so how that happened is, is kind of funny. There was this, uh, the fellow who did the turntables uh, is an Australian DJ uh, who goes by the name Nixie. He's a really cool guy. He contacted me two years ago because he enjoyed one of the covers I posted on YouTube. It was the mashup of um, Bleed from Meshuggah and Temperature from Sean Paul. Um, And he thought it was really cool and he wanted to incorporate that into one of his mixes. So uh, I gave him all the stems to the track, uh, which he thought was really cool. And he offered to do some scratching on a song sometime if I wanted. And uh, I guess I just thought about it for a while and thought that would be a really great idea. And I thought that particular part of that song, Salt and Lead, could use a little spicing up. You know, it's just a very... It's like heavy, but it's like a monotonous extended breakdown section. And I thought that a turntable solo would be really fucking cool. So I called him up and he did it. Oh, no, that's really cool. Um, it's sort of b- more broader kind of experimentation behind, beyond sort of the just deathcore, brutal death metal. How is, talk, talk a little bit about the fact that your music kind of encompasses like even when you're trying to approach a genre, like in this particular instance, like it sort of goes off into lots of different areas. Talk a bit about why that happens for you. Right. Um, I, I guess I never want to give someone the impression that I'm a specific kind of artist, right? I don't want someone to listen to this record and have it cemented in their brain that I'm a deathcore artist, Right. I want to have a little bit of fun. I want to play with people's expectations a little um, and uh, just experiment and try new things. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's basically it. I'm I'm just having fun, really. (laughs) No, that's fair enough. Um, You've included five songs in the they're going to be including uh, five songs on these three EPs. I think Transmission also included five songs, if I'm recalling. That's correct, yeah. Why do you think five songs is probably the right amount for an EP? Right, I I think, well, it's a nice round number, first of all. Uh, I think it's long enough that you have a chance to kind of explore different musical avenues and expand on certain themes, but it's short enough that it doesn't overstay its welcome and you don't run into the risk of having too much filler, right? It's it's concise, but also complete. One last question about uh, A Fortress of Flesh, then we'll move on to talk about the new upcoming EP, Lyrics. We mentioned briefly you know, the lyrical content of Brutal Death Metal. How did you approach the lyrics for this EP? Right, well... Um, I guess when I first started writing the songs, I was kind of playing with the idea of writing, you know, standard issue, brutal death metal type lyrics. But 
I, I guess I have this idea that lyrics should say something, right? And I wanted the message I put forward through these songs to run true to who I am and what I have to say as a person. Um, so I, I guess in the end, I decided to run counter to some of the narratives that I dislike that seem to be frequently repeated in this style. Um, Manifest and Salt and Lead, the first two songs, sort of run counter to the narrative of megalomania and egoism uh, that's prominent in a lot of death metal and deathcore. Uh, Pray to Me, that's the the third song on the record. It sort of constructs a narrative that's still dark and violent and sexual, but ultimately uplifting and tries to create a more kind of sex positive narrative rather than a, a destructive one. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's that's some of the things that come to mind. Uh, the next EP that you're going to be releasing, talk a little bit about that and how it's kind of different from this one. Right. Um, this EP, it's sort of meant to be a nostalgic throwback to the stuff that I was digging throughout the 2000s. Uh, it draws a lot from post-hardcore with uh, the melodies and the ridiculous long song titles. Uh, it's got a lot of video game music influences as well. Some of the synth sounds on the record are the same synth sounds that were used in Donkey Kong 64 and Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, two of my favorite games. Um, it's really just a, a chance for me to, I guess, wear my inspirations on my sleeve and be a little self-indulgent and have a little more fun.
show seems to have a bit more of an uplifting tone. Is there, is that does that come from particular moods when you're writing, or how does that kind of work out in the writing process? Um, it's it's interesting because a lot of these songs I wrote when I was not feeling that great, to be totally honest with you. Um, I guess uh, I wanted to explore some sort of triumphant melodic modes, you know, to contrast with the really abysmal dark stuff that was going on on the Fortress of Flesh EP, right? I, I wanted each of these EPs to sort of explore a different musical avenue. Video games. Yes. So I've been playing Tomb Raider at the moment. Really enjoyable. Nice. What, what, have you been playing anything recently that you've enjoyed? Have I been playing anything? It's it's kind of funny because I'm working at a video game company right now. And I, I haven't been playing much games, really. I've, I've been, I guess, mostly replaying Nintendo 64 and PS2 games. Uh, I'm I'm currently replaying Donkey Kong 64 for maybe the hundredth time. <laughs> um, my roommate has a really great collection of PS2 RPGs, um, like Devil May Cry and uh, Dragon Guard, stuff like that. So I, I've been checking out some of that lately. I don't know if we covered this when we t- chatted last time, but what, why is it that Donkey Kong 64 is such a kind of focus for you? Yeah, it's... Well, it was, to be honest with you, it was the first video game I ever owned. So that's definitely a contributing factor. Um, I find the composition style on it really, I I don't know, like Grant Kirkhope, the main composer, he really creates some real tapestries. I feel like every one of the major themes in the song, the major environmental themes, tell a story. And uh, I find it interesting how he'll do different adaptations of a similar theme for different sub areas of that main environment, right? Like you'll go into a a cave and you'll hear like a softer, more kind of ominous variation on the main theme from when you're running around in the forest or whatever. Um, just his understanding of of narrative and his concept driven composition, I guess, really stuck with me. Um, as from what I understand, he was also in a metal band for the longest time. And I, I think his compositions definitely have a lot of metal fuel in them. You know, they've, they've got this sort of dark aggression running under the surface. Last question about Anna Pest, third EP, un, here to, for un, uh, Unseen, uh, no music release for it. Uh, I don't know if you want to discuss this at all, and if you know, that's fine. But uh, any sort of comments about what that EP is going to sound like? Right, sure, totally. Um, To be honest, that particular EP has some of the older songs that I had collected from this long period of writing that I discussed earlier. Yeah, some of them I wrote as early as 2010, 2011, Um, I've worked on them a lot since then, obviously. I think they're very complete, very melody-driven songs. Um, And uh, the whole record has an oceanic theme. I guess I'm lyrically, it's sort of exploring 
different forms of mental and emotional trauma and uh, discussing them with nautical and water-based metaphors. And I, I wanted to reflect that in the music as well. There's a lot of very watery synth sounds, a lot of, you know, layered pads and xylophones and stuff like that. I, I really had fun kind of constructing an almost symphonic ambience for these songs. So uh, I'm, I'm super psyched about it. It's sounding pretty good so far. I just have to finish working on the vocals, which might take a little while, but I'm hoping to have it out either at the end of this year or at the start of next year. That's really going to be really, really exciting. Let's move on to Melavon. Uh, new album covered. Uh, it was uh, released, I think it was just the beginning of the week. Um, yeah. talk, talk a little bit about that. Conceptually, I guess it's an exploration of themes of envy, uh, longing for a lost time, a past time, an unreachable time. It's got this feeling of loss and bereavement, and there's also a sense of celebration of the past, I guess, thematically is what's going on there. It took about four years to make. Um, we went into it with a lot of demos um, and scrapped nearly all of them in favor of just starting from scratch and writing the music mostly together. Uh, it was a really collaborative process, writing the songs, Um we went through a couple lineup changes over the course of preparing the record. And most of the songs were completely re-recorded from scratch at least four times over. Uh, we put a lot of work into this thing and uh, I think it turned out sounding pretty good. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, definitely. It's it's not my style, but like, I'm actually quite enjoying the, the songs I was listening to. Um, how, how does that sort of compare to writing for Anna Pess because obviously re-scrapping and re-recording songs is kind of a, a weird feeling because it's uh, something you, you you work on and then you have to kind of go back to the drawing board, obviously working with other people. How, how does that all compare and how, how do you feel about, I know, the writing process generally for this particular one? Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess with Melavon, we're, we're a group of people, right? And we have a kind of pool of influences that we draw from together, and we have certain musical territory that we're comfortable exploring that maybe some of us are less comfortable exploring, right? So I, I guess even though the territory we work in as a band is relatively broad, our songwriting has to work within an established framework of some sort, right? And with Anna Pest, I guess I'm just free to do whatever I want and to, uh, you know, to set the vibe for each release uh, completely independent of the next or the one before it because it's just me doing it, right? So I, I, I like that. That's no, cool. With, um, like, scrapping the songs, are they kind of that's always an interesting thing because you've worked on something you were clearly there was something there but it didn't eventuate as you wanted it to are those songs are they have they been repurposed into the new songs are they kind of just left on the wayside what what's what's what happens to those kind of previous works right yeah well a lot of the stuff that i i had originally proposed to Malavon that they didn't end up you know, liking very much. Um, a, a lot of it I ended up releasing as Anapest later on after I took some time to, uh, you know, rework it and uh, 
make it sound complete and everything. Um, a lot of other stuff I would just kind of dissect and be like, okay, you know, what, what here is worth keeping? And I might take like one good riff and try to sneak that into another song. Um, yeah. So that's mostly what happens there. There's this concept of maturity that bands usually after a couple, couple of records reach, um, you know, the sort of maturity and maybe the way you would tour, sort of having a more relaxed way of touring or something like that. But like often what we talk about is um, like a way of, way music kind of sounds where it's sort of ironed out the, just some of the flaws in the past. And it kind of feels like rather than grasping for something uh, something really far out you kind of you push yourselves but at the end it kind of feels really natural and like you've really achieved something talk a little bit about maturity and how that feels for the record right um I mean I'm not sure I'm in the best position to gauge whether or not this record is especially mature you know I'm still a young person and uh, by all accounts, you know, even though we've been around for a while, we're still a young band of young people, right? Um, that being said, we just spent a lot of time with these songs, you know? We spent so much time going over them, just uh, figuring out what was there that was worth expanding upon and what had to go. Um we decided to keep the amount of songs on the record short in the end. It's, it's only an eight song release and two of those songs are interlude pieces. And that was just because we really took the time and, and looked over the stuff we had and just had to make the judgment call as to what was the best stuff we had to offer. Right. We really wanted to put our best foot forward with this release. And I, I think that's a sense in which we've matured is, is realizing that, you know, as a songwriter, you're not going to shit gold, right? <laughs> you're going to shit out shit, and maybe there'll be a couple of fragments of gold within that. And I think maturity is all about sifting through that and really trying to find the gold and refine it as much as possible. That's and really, I think that's what we did here. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good analogy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that being said, if you are shitting out pieces of gold, I suggest you see a doctor <laughs> or a uh, or a prospector. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you announced on Facebook uh, this morning, my time. Um, I think it might have been afternoon, your time. Uh, that unfortunately, Melvon will be breaking up. Talk a little bit about how that's come to be, how you feel about it, uh, with whatever level of detail you're comfortable with. Right, yeah. Okay, so I was the one who proposed the indefinite hiatus originally. Um, I believe I proposed it to the other members at the start of last year. Um, you know, I, I love Malavon. I, I love the people and the band more than anything else. Uh, they're just a really great bunch of folks. And we've been on a lot of adventures over the course of the last few years. Um, just had some really great times together. But ultimately, it was a project that required a lot of time, energy, and responsibility. And, you know, whether 
I don't know whether it was through my own doing or just circumstance, that responsibility fell mostly on my shoulders throughout most of the seven years that we've been active. Um, And it was a labor of unconditional love for most of the time. But eventually I realized that the payoff wasn't worth the cost and it was starting to wear me down. Um, I realized over the course of the past two years that I'm pretty depressed and things don't entertain me or keep me happy the same way that they used to. And um, it got to the point where I, I realized that I was using productivity and uh, just the ritual of creating stuff to distract myself from these these thoughts that I was having and these things that I was feeling. So I guess I just got to the point where I figured I needed to stop that. And everyone else has been super, super respectful. the same page. You know, we're growing. We have responsibilities. We have jobs. We have relationships. Some of us have health problems that have been coming up over the course of, you know, the past few years with this lifestyle we have going as musicians. Um, and these are all things that need to be addressed. So we're, we're doing this as a group of friends, deciding what is the best thing to do for us right now. Um, and there's, there's no hard feelings associated with it as far as I'm concerned. So I've spoken with only a few people a few bands in regards of, you know, starting up this podcast. It's only just started. Interviewed a couple of people looking to put out the episodes. And aside from this one, mental health has already come up in two of the six interviews that I've done. So, it, yeah, it's just, I I don't know if there's a question as much as, like, just a, a thought, but, like, it, it's, yeah, it's just really, I think, so important that we focus on mental health because it's such a... It's an issue which affects people so broadly and like, I think there's probably no one who's untouched by either mental health or someone who has someone with mental health issues in their life. So, I don't know. I don't know if you wanted to come on that or anything, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm not a huge fan of how our world is constructed right now. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of the idea that, um, you have to, you know, fucking get out of bed each morning and go out and work and come home and sleep and get up and do it again. Uh, I, I don't know. Like we live in a very ruthlessly productivity driven age right now and I don't think it's a healthy way to live and I don't think people are adapting to it very well um and I think that uh you know mental health issues are a natural result of that kind of lifestyle and that sort of repetitive monotonous torture that people are putting themselves through um and we just gotta be strong you know that's that's about all I have to say.
That was Pray To Me by Anna Pest from her A Fortress of Flesh EP. The second song we heard was Making the Same Fucking Mistake for the Sixth Time on a Thursday Night from her Something Is A Foot EP that's going to be released on October 26th. And the first track we heard was Rot Room from A Fortress of Flesh as well. Thanks to April for joining me. Um, I really appreciate it, especially kind of, you know, it's a trying time. Her band had broken up Melavon. Um, like, it was announced the very same day they interviewed her, and I really appreciate her talking to me, like, you know, uh, about some stuff that's kind of... Everyone sort of takes the band and the impact it has on their lives to a very different extent, but, like, something that she's been involved with, I think she said about seven years... It can't be easy, that coming to an end, even if it probably is for the best for a lot of different reasons, you know, and I really I really appreciate you talking to me. I'm going to finish out this episode with a recommendation. Uh, a guy that I've really been a big fan of for a long, long time, Toby Driver. If you know him, you'll know he's been involved in KO Dot, Moreland of Well, as well as many other projects. But um, this time i'm going to be recommending one of his solo albums although <laughs> to be honest i'm not quite clear on what the difference is because it's not like he's making it all himself there's a number of other musicians involved throughout the album uh providing violins and the drums but regardless <laughs> um this is his they are the shield album that was released about two weeks ago really interesting it's kind of a maybe it's in some ways reminiscent of some of the recent stuff he's been doing which kind of has synth elements kind of gothy elements but it's really really distinct in the way that's driven by violins very violin driven and also there's just an interesting way that the drums are used kind of sparingly but they have a very influential beat on the whole sound of the album. Really, really cool stuff. And if you aren't familiar with Toby Driver, if you aren't familiar with K.O.Dot, Warmer of the Well, among many others, I recommend you check them all out after checking out uh, They Are The Shield because he's really an incredible artist and producing some really incredible music for... We're coming up to nearly two decades now. I don't know when the first Mordenth Well album was released, but yeah, for quite a long time. Really, really interesting music. Some music that's really been, I mean, I would say influential, not in the way that I kind of aspire to make music like that, because his sort of skill is far beyond my very rudimentary and limited skill, but kind of expanded the horizons of what I kind of think of as good music and how like really different elements can come together like there are some bands which are doing some really interesting things but i'm not sure how many bands have done stuff that's quite as interesting as he's done um i think back like really what it comes down to is tracks that are on quiet of the eye the first ko dot album particularly when you have a song like manifold curiosity which I don't know, you just have to really listen to it to understand and like feel the real creativity, the real finesse that's going on there. So I really encourage you to check out. That's your homework project for the week. Later on this week, I'm going to be releasing an episode featuring Moondweller, Hobart, kind of atmospheric black metal band. Really, really cool stuff. So stay tuned for that. If you have any comments, questions, if you're a band or you know a band that I should be interviewing, send me an email, australianhunger at gmail.com, or you can contact me on Twitter, OzHunger, or on my personal Twitter handle, at SRHGBG. I'll catch you later this week.